Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. All right, all right. Season two, off and running. Uh, Last week, we had a very interesting, very academic conversation with one of my scholarly idols, uh, Dr. Denise Solomon. And, uh, you know, I hope that was a, was an interesting uh, intro for us all. Uh, we are going to get a little bit more, I guess the word is big picture um, this week. Uh, I am thrilled uh, to have our guest here, and I'll tell a short story about our guest. This was going to be our first guest who was going to join us in person, but unfortunately, there was a little bit of an exposure incident related to COVID-19, and so our guest for today uh, is coming from home. So I am thrilled to introduce Cesaria Selwyn. I got that right, right? I practiced it a couple times. I want to make sure. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, the way that we do things on this show is we just kind of go with the flow. Um, but before any of that, we always need to learn a little bit about our guest of the day. So would you mind walking us through kind of your um, your academic background, um, kind of where you started, where you're at right now, and um, your special area of interest or expertise? Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's see if I can remember all that. Um, so I started off in genetics. I was really interested in behavioral genetics and and just basically how we function in the human experience. Um, so that's what I started off doing in undergrad, and I did that for four years. And I just was really unhappy being stuck in a lab um, for umpteen hours at a time. Um, so I was taking a communication studies class, <laughs> um, and I was talking with a professor of mine, Dr. Morgan, and he gave me a study, and um, it was very, very interesting. It had to do over relationships, um, communication, essentially the um, defining that there was a correlation in between the amount of satisfaction one has in a romantic relationship and the uh, amount of satisfaction they rate um, in their sexual experiences with their partner. Mm. And I was like, what? You can research this? I can still be in science? And I was hooked. So then um, I spent a year, picked up a bachelor's in in intercultural communication. Then I did a master's in interpersonal communication where I really studied parent-child diets and really how we socialize um, romantic relationship behavior (laughs) and how it manifests in adulthood, something I love. Um, and then I decided I really wanted to stay teaching because I was a graduate assistant. So I started, uh, and I did a second master's program in multicultural curriculum instruction for higher education. It's a very long, fancy way of saying that, um, I wanted to know how to be a great professor. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I started doing that really started to get into more social justice activism. It was something that I had always worked in. Um, as like volunteer and stuff like that. And just from my lived experience and my intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Um, So after that, I ended up um, starting off with a part-time position at um, CSU, Colorado State University. 
and um, I was working in the undergraduate research office helping to recruit um, students of color to engage in research opportunities. And I really just found my passion for helping to address equity gaps and then celebrate diversity and further inclusion. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, the underlying theme here is, of course, um, identity and the performance of identity and the encouragement of identity. And of course, that's hot. That's essentially what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about the self. Um, and in, uh, for the record, um, Colorado State University, uh, probably the most gorgeous campus I've ever seen in my life. Sorry, everyone at DSU, that that campus is is different. Um, so, uh, let's, let's get right into it, um, in talking about the self. And of course, when we talk about the self on this podcast, we do it from a communication perspective. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was, I mean, you know, it's 2021 and this idea of like self care and self talk and self love, self dash something, right? That's oops, hit the microphone. That, that That's a big thing, right? In 2021. What, what does that even mean? Like, what does self-care mean? What does self-care look like when it's actually manifested? What does self-care mean? And what does self-care look like? I genuinely believe that that looks very different to different people. But when we're looking at what self-care means to me, um, and the questions I typically tend to ask students that I mentor and do more holistic development, those are different stories. Mm -hmm. um, Self-care to me is having a really healthy, solid relationship with myself. And part of that is interpersonal communication. Um, but it can be more in the way that, um, let's say, situations I expose myself to, the amount of care that I give to myself, um, where I'm directing my energy every day. <laughs> setting up healthy boundaries, not just with others, but with myself and maintaining them. Um, all of those things can fall into there, but I think it really depends on the person because to me, when we're talking relationships, if you ask somebody, what does it mean to have a healthy and successful relationship? Which is really what you're asking when you're asking yourself about interpersonal communication. Every single person is gonna give you a different relation or a different um, description of that for themselves. So. I think when um, people are interested in that, it's really important to start asking yourself, what does it mean to be your best self and live your best life? And when you start seeing that, it gives you something to start working toward, I think. Mm, I like that. And, and just to note, um, the word intrapersonal communication came up there. Um, you know, I study interpersonal communication, right, which is a specific messages sent between two or more people. Intrapersonal communication is when we literally communicate with ourself. Um, sometimes that happens in our head. Sometimes it happens in the shower. Uh, but you know, uh, for the most part, it's, it's the way that we interact with ourselves. And I think you bring up a really important point about, um, using, you know, understanding that your time is a commodity and, and, and making sure that it's valued, um, not just by others, but also by you. So I think that that's, um, that that's a, a really good point. And I, I want to talk about the, the, notion of living your best life in in just a minute here but before we do um keeping our focus on the relationship last season we had uh dr mark generous on uh who's one of my favorite people and we were talking about online dating and one of the things he said is he was like listen if you want to date to date 
do it. But if you're looking for like a real true connection and a real true relationship, you must have, you know, just a sense of self. So why is it so important to have this picture, as you were saying, like this image of your best self, this ideal self, why are we, why do we need to have that secured before we head into a relationship? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> 16 minutes. <laughs> All right. Let me see how I can try to, to contextualize this. Um, in my opinion, um, uh, I am a social constructionist, right? So I believe that our ability to perceive reality is bound by our lived experiences. So we do have who we naturally are, but we also have the qualities that we value by the experiences. We have everything that has socialized us, right? That impacts our self-talk, um, our relationships with others. And I think that some people are given this really beautiful opportunity as children to start playing around and asking themselves, who am I? Not everybody gets that, um, <laughs> gets that, uh, what's a good word? Um, opportunity gift to, to have the freedom to explore themselves, especially with their parents, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times we're just shards of our parents, their trauma, their positive qualities, everything else. Um, so I think that for a lot of people, they really start to dive into serious relationships when they leave their household, a lot of times entering college or starting off their first career. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think point it's when a lot of people go into crisis of who am I? And I think for most people, we tend to get into our first serious relationship when we haven't really done the self work and explored who am I and who do I want to be? Um, and that's kind of, <laughs> I think that it poses a lot of danger. That's how I should put it. And the danger in that I think, um, comes from almost creating like an addiction to the partner that you're with and defining yourself your self-worth, who you are, who you want to be, all of that through their lens, um, their lived experiences, their values rather than your own. Mm -hmm. Further, really potentially losing yourself. You know, there's so many people that I've worked with through throughout my life, throughout my research that I, you know, I'll ask them, like, who are you? Who do you want to be? And it's really hard because so many of them are really stopping and thinking about it seriously for the first time. It's like, they're just stunned when I ask them that. Mm. Um, and I guess for me, because, you know, it's, it's what I love to study. It's my field. Um, it's what I work on all the time here at the University of TSU. Um, it's what I always think about. <laughs> so I think it's just critical to, to engage in that. And the reason ultimately, yes, relationship with other, I think it's fantastic. Um, but when, when we talk about relationships, the argument I always make to people is that I think the absolute most critical relationship you'll ever have in your life is with yourself mm. because you're going to spend more time with yourself than you will with any other person on this planet. So if you can't have a good relationship with yourself, how can you have a good relationship with others? Mm. Yeah, I think that that's uh, that. I mean, yeah. How much time do we have? Right. Like that. I think that summed it up really well. And, um, 
I don't know if you meant to do it, but you touched on a lot of stuff that we've talked about in previous episodes, like uh, the idea of kind of throwing yourself into another person. Uh, folks who listen to the show might remember when we had Dr. Guerrero on and she talked about attachment theory and the idea of being preoccupied with someone else's identity and kind of making yourself into that person. And then if that person leaves you, you find that you're kind of just like a shell. And so, uh, yeah, so I think that that uh, really well explains all the things that Dr. Generous was talking about late last season. Um, and so it's nice to have that overlap between episodes and topics and things like that, because, you know, at the end of the day, this is definitely a podcast about communication. And so it stands to reason that we need to be doing this work um, alone, as well as with other people as well. Um, I want to talk about that term we brought up before intrapersonal communication, just for the sake of argument, let's call it self-talk. Um, we briefly touched on what it can look like, right? It can happen in your head, right? If you're on like, for example, I go for bike rides sometimes and a lot of those times I'm just left alone with my thoughts, right? Uh, sometimes we have conversations with ourselves in the shower. Um, so from a self-talk perspective, what mm -hmm. kinds of, um, what, what kinds of specific behaviors are we talking about here? And what, why is it so important to talk to yourself? Okay. Well, I would say that our ability to have a relationship with somebody, including myself, is created and defined through acts of communication, even when you're just thinking to yourself. Um, so I would say that's kind of like the baseline is engaging in self-talk to have that relationship and to be, in my opinion, um, something that's critical to just be a healthy, functioning human being. Um, but as far as like what that behavior can look like that there's so many answers to that. Are you talking mm -hmm. about more specifically in developing like a relationship with yourself in a certain way, or are you talking about mm -hmm. more engaging in romantic relationships with others, like script writing before you get into an argument with a partner? I hate to give you this answer, but kind of both and everything in between. How about this? Let's, let's re-ask the question. Uh, what are some of the, what are some of the benefits that we can reap? from self-talk and maybe what's a drawback or two that we risk when we engage in self-talk? <sighs> okay, so pause. <laughs> <laughs> um, sky's the limit. So um, something that I tend to work with a lot, let's say in college students, right, is um, imposter syndrome. It's this idea that a lot of us are plagued with feeling like we're not good enough, mm -hmm. right? No matter what we do, we don't deserve to be in that space, you know? Um, so when that happens, a lot of times it's because we don't have that healthy sense of self, pretty much any debilitating psychological thing that you can happen or that you may not be able to work through a lot of times, I think stems from not feeling that you have safety within yourself. Mm. So to me, that's saying, why is it important to feel like I'm safe mentally and emotionally within myself? Why is it important to feel like I can have my own back? Why is it important to feel that I love myself, um, that I appreciate my positive qualities? So, so for example, right, um, an act of self-talk that I think is, is really um, indicator of this level of health that you can have. How do you talk to yourself when you make a very egregious mistake, right? Um, so let's say you have this, I don't know, this cup that has 
bridge is this high sentimental value to you and it's glass and you're walking and you trip and it shatters, right? Mm. What do you tell yourself in that moment, right? Somebody who may not have the best sense of self would probably start to tear into themselves. I can't believe you did that. You're so clumsy. What's wrong with you, right? All of these things, very negative um, and really just like tearing yourself apart. And I think the threshold of a way to look at that is to say, flip it. Imagine that you're in this scenario and the person who drops the glass is the person you love most in this world. If you would not speak to them the way that you just spoke to yourself, there's a sign that there's room for growth there. Wow. I like that. Did you recently like drop a cup or something? I'm, I'm feeling like this comes from a personal experience. No, no. Um, so I, and it's something personally that I suffer from. I grew up having very high expectations set for me and also, um, really having the ideal of having to be like the model minority, um, ingrained from an early age. So one of the ways that that's manifested in my self-talk as an adult is that I am hypercritical of myself and I place um, a huge burden to always like be the best, do the best. Mm -hmm. So anytime that I can make a mistake, an error, rather than just be like, it's okay, who cares, right? And just right. keep going, I'll tend to really dig in. Um, and one way to really start this practice, um, I think that like the key to start engaging in productive self-talk is going to be building a sense of self-awareness, right? You have to start touching in with yourself. So you have to have these moments where you just get into the habit of checking in with your body, noticing if you have any tightness, anything else like that, and then starting to really just pay attention to the conversations that you have with yourself because everybody does them. Um, throughout the day, right? We just talk, yeah. we think, we ask ourselves why we do things, why we reacted the way they are. And when we're talking about the negative sides, right? It's it's spiraling. So let's say you have a social interaction and you go home and then you start to think, if they didn't like me, did I defend them? Did I did I misspeak? Mm -hmm. And then you just like you just start to really get in your head and engage in negative self-talk. Um and it can manifest other ways too. So script writing, for example, um, when we're talking about relationships is we try to negotiate identities with other, right? So you have like um, identity management theory and face negotiation theory. And when we're looking at like self-talk versus talk with others, it's basically looking at how do we internally um, define our own identities and then what communication acts do we do with others to help to establish that identity in their eyes, right? So that's mm -hmm. one hand. And then the other one is also these faces essentially change this identity management changes because for most people it wouldn't be socially acceptable to have the same um, sense of their self presented to their family versus their friends versus mm, uh, many hats. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting when we're talking about self-talk and self-communication is then you have to ask yourself in those scenarios, does your self-talk change because you're wearing almost a different face in these scenarios or do you try to stay that same person throughout? Oh, okay. So uh, Professor James might self-talk differently than does James the son or James the friend. Is that what you mean? It's possible. For some people, it can look like that. So, and the reason that this is really a, um, a high interest for me to talk to others about in their experience, and maybe you feel like shedding light on this, um, 
in your experiences, I don't know if you've been reflective on it, is that for me, part of my effort to further social justice is that I believe that every person should get to live their authentic self in every situation. Mm. And that's the beauty of celebrating diversity. So from a very young age, I've actively worked to be that self in every social situation. Okay. <laughs> so I wonder, I wonder when I see other people performing like face negotiation in these different scenarios, mm. what that looks like and that sense of self, because I think let's say when you are performing um, your identity as, as um, professor, right. Um, you might have a lot of confidence because you're in a position of potential power or authority, right? Not necessarily that you define it that way, but that tends to be the the image that comes with having this position and being seen as an authority on this mm. versus potentially you talking to your grandparents where you're trying to show them respect. So I wonder how much the self changes in our talk um, with ourselves. So, so that's why it's it's so hard to give you just one direct, straight mm. answer when you ask what these can look like, positive and negative in different scenarios, because I suspect for different people, the way that we negotiate our identities with others and really importantly, ourselves has to do with that. So going back to like, what does it mean to, to um, be your best self, right? How have you come to that conclusion? What are the qualities that you value? In others, what do you want to have in yourself, right? Mm -hmm. I have to imagine, well, and also from conversations I've had many, um, that when I talk to people and I ask them, what does it mean to be your best self and live your best life? And the answers I get are so vastly different. And I have to imagine, you know, that has to do with the very prolonged years of self-talk that people have decided that these are all of the qualities they want to embody. Yeah. And I I think you make a really good point there and, you know, not for nothing, but I did kind of throw a trick question at you because yes, of course it's different for each person and it should be different for each person. And um, just to wrap that all up with a nice little bow, it's so important that the ideal self that you have is your ideal self and not the ideal self that other people have created for you. Right. If you become that ideal self that someone else made for you, um, uh, you're, you're not going to feel that sense of completeness, completeness that's necessary to say, um, get to the level of comfort where you feel like you can give yourself into a close relationship. We've got about two minutes here. I wanted to spend more time talking about this, but really briefly, what about the advent of things like therapy and can we do self therapy? in exchange of, you know, sitting on a leather couch for $125 an hour. Uh, is that is that beneficial? Okay, so so first part of your question is, um, is therapy beneficial? I think it definitely can be. Um, I would say what therapy uh, can provide, depending on the clinician, is somebody who's able to provide you the skills to have a better relationship with yourself. Because reality is how many of us grew up in a household where our parents sat us down and said, this is what healthy self-love looks like. This Mm -hmm. is how you have healthy self-communication. This is how you know your worth and you set your boundaries. Um, And that's not shade on our parents. It's just, you know, the the same scenario that they grew up with. No, we're not taught to do that. We're not taught to do that. So I definitely believe that mental health to me is... um, 
probably the most critical thing that we can have. You have to be good within yourself. You have to have a healthy self-relationship. So to me, that relationship, like I've said, is critical. So yes, I think that therapy is really beautiful. If you can find a clinician that works well with you, you can have absolutely wonderful and transformative results because really, do you think there's ever a cap of learning to love yourself you know, too much or have too good of communication or cap out on these different things to be too compassionate, mm-hmm. too kind? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we're not talking about narcissism because at that point, we, that, that's a little bit too much self-love, but uh, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I think it's very important. Uh, we don't have much time. Uh, the way that I think about this and just give me a simple yes or no. The way that I think about this is I, I think about dogs. I know that you and I are both animal people. I have two dogs at home and I try and view them as a reflection of myself. And so when I talk to them, it's almost like I'm talking to myself. And when I talk to myself, I talk to myself the way that I would talk to them. Yes, no, dogs. Dependent on the person, highly, highly, highly dependent on the person because that calls into question how somebody views the autonomy of animals. Do you feel like they are your property? Do you feel like they are your child? Do you feel like they're equals? Well, that's fair. Um, I, I think we just, I think we just ran over the time there. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so uh, that is unfortunately all the time we have. Uh, but, uh, uh, next week, we'll talk a little bit about some of these relationships that we were just getting to with uh, Dr. Kate Fiore. And thanks so much for joining us, Asadia. Of course. Thanks for having me. It all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.